alive than when we're speaking to Jesus. I mean, that song says, I touch the sky when my knees hit the ground, right? Father, I pray that we have worn out knees, that our spiritual posture before you is prayer, and that we understand that the only place that we can fight is on our knees, that the only right way to fight the lies of Satan is on our knees. God, that the only way we're going to know peace, the only way that we're going to know freedom, the only way that we're going to know the abundant life that only Jesus can give is on our knees with their arms spread wide saying, I surrender everything. Father, so I pray over any of shame that's in the room, any guilt, any worthlessness, that those are lies from Satan. And in the name of Jesus, Satan and his demons shudder. That in the name of Jesus Christ, Satan and his demons shudder. So overwhelm us with your presence, Lord. Overwhelm us with the presence and the power that raised Jesus from the dead to defeat everything that Satan throws at us. We'll stop believing the lies because we are found in Christ. So peace in your presence. Peace in your presence, Lord. Amen. Yesterday, after soccer, our soccer game, Heather, um, Heather's the coach of, Jude, of Micaiah's team, and she was talking to Judah about, uh, about this, but we were having the whole team over after the soccer game for lunch. And so Heather says to Judah, she says, man, Judah, this is a lot of like adults that we don't know very well, and Heather's a, a really, really good with kids, and she's really good with adults too, I think, so I don't think she has to be nervous about this, but she goes, Judah, I'm really nervous about having all these people over our house. And he goes, Mom, you know what I'm nervous about? When I get married. And, no, he goes, when I get married, and the part that I have to talk to the girl. I'm like, there you go. And then he goes, Micaiah, what are you nervous about? Are you nervous about that too? Talking to girls, that's the way... Yeah, be that way until you're 18. All right, I want you to take your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, while you're doing that, I want to remind you that um, we're in the middle of Operation Christmas Child right now, so we're, we're filling boxes, shoe boxes, to give uh, to kids that otherwise wouldn't be getting Christmas presents this year. And so um, in two weeks, November 15th, is going to be collection day. We're going to have, if you bring your boxes on November 15th, I just want you to bring them straight up here to the front and put them up in the front. We'll organize them for you. Just make sure they get up here. Um, and as you're packing those boxes, I just want to remind you to make sure you take that boy-girl sticker and get it on the box. Secure it on the box. Make sure your box is also secured closed. Okay, if it can't close then you probably have too much in it or the wrong stuff, okay? So no bikes in the boxes, it just won't, won't work. Um, anyway, while you're getting to 1 Peter chapter 2, um, just hang there for a bit because I want to lay some groundwork uh, for the passage today. 
Um, remember, this is our Bible, and we fight Satan's lies with God's truth. I know I say this over and over again, but the, the best tool we have against Satan's lies is God's truth. So I, I got to ask, like, how am I doing with that? How are we doing as a church with that? Right? How well are you claiming the truth of Scripture in your life? I mean, Tim talked about it last week, how much we need the truth of Scripture, how much we want to crave it, and we need it to speak against the lies of Satan in our life. How well are you claiming the truth of what Jesus has made you to speak against the lies of Satan? How well are you speaking truth to other people around you, right? How well are you claiming the truth of God into their lives to fight the situations that they find themselves in? And how well are you being spoken truth to other people? I mean, that's the church. That's why we exist, right? I mean, we exist to bring glory to God. But he put us in a community of people together so that we could fight for each other. That's how we operate. We fight for each other. Here's a question. What are we fighting for? I mean, seriously, I think that there's a lot of churches, a lot of Christians, a lot of members of those churches who spend a lot of their time, all right, and you've got to be honest with yourself if you fit in this category, but spend a lot of their time making sure that the people around them are living a moral life, right? I mean, that sounds like a good thing, right? But in all honesty, we spend a lot of time making sure that the person standing next to me is walking a moral straight line. Because if they're not, I'm afraid it's going to make my church look bad, and I'm afraid it's going to make me look bad, right? If the people around me, if we have a bunch of messed up people in our church, then what's wrong with our church, right? We're worried about the perception of other people outside the church when we're probably the reason that they're still outside the church, right? Because here's the deal. The fight that we should be fighting is on a spiritual level. I mean, I'm serious. Maybe, just maybe, this is the reason why people who have never been in church or people who don't like Christians or people who are turned off by following God, maybe this is the reason. Because they're afraid that when they step in the doors, their moral compass is going to be judged. Right? Their moral compass is going to be judged by people who when the rubber meets the road probably need to check their own moral compass. Right? I mean, you've heard the word hypocrisy, and I'm, not, I'm preaching, to, preaching myself here. This is one of the best things about preaching, is that when I get ready to preach it to you on Sunday, I've preached it to myself all week. And then somehow, somehow, right, it's the Spirit of God leads me to have to put into practice the things that I'm about to preach. It just works out that way, right? I love it. But they come in and they see us policing each other's behavior rather than encouraging each other with the truth and letting the Holy Spirit be the one that affects change in people's lives. People don't 
want that kind of slavery. To come in and just be judged for the things they're doing right or the things they're doing wrong, that is slavery, isn't it? That's slavery. My wife is constantly saying to me, I love this, she's constantly saying to me, hey, we need to see ourselves how God sees us. We need to see ourselves how God sees us. So in reality, the best thing that we can fight for, for each other, is not to make sure our moral compass is right, but to make sure that the people around us understand and know who they are, what their identity is, and that is in Christ, right? And if people are not in Christ, then it's our job to, by the way we live, effectively show them the difference between their identity apart from Christ and what their identity in Christ could be, to show them the difference between slavery and true freedom. Because I believe this with my whole heart that God created me and you, right? And if we believe that, then isn't God the one that makes the rules, right? If God's our creator and he created us for a specific purpose, isn't he the one that has the right to make the rules? Isn't he the one that defines what really matters for my life? Because I can chase anything I want. But if God hasn't defined it as something that matters for me, then it doesn't matter, right? Isn't he the one that defines what an abundant life for me looks like? Isn't he the one that has already defined what freedom looks like? Reading in Ezekiel, it's right in the middle of my Bible. It's probably somewhere near that for you as well. But Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 12. The Israelites were the nation that were God's people, chosen by God to be a blessing to the entire world, right? The world around them. Okay, but Israel had gotten to the point where they had forsaken God and chased other gods. They had chased other things. And so Ezekiel eleven twelve says this. This is God speaking. I shall judge you at the border of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. For you have not walked in my statutes or obeyed my rules, but have acted according to the rules of the nations that are around you. That's slavery. When we act in obedience to a nation that isn't our own. That's slavery. All throughout the book of Exodus, okay, you see the Israelites. They had, by the grace and the power of God, been brought out of slavery in Egypt, right? Into the wilderness, but going to the promised land. And so at the beginning, the Israelites were like, yes, God is powerful. We serve the God of the universe. This, this is the God we serve, right? And then when it started to get hard, what did they do? They started to grumble, and they started to complain, and they said, why can't we go back to Egypt where at least we were fed three times a day, right? At least we were fed Three times a day. God constantly reached in and reminded them, I know it's hard, but I am your God. You are my people, and I am bringing you to the promised land. But here's, that's where we land. 
sometimes we get so wrapped up. Sometimes I get so wrapped up and I, I get blinders on. And I only see the trouble that's right in front of me, right? And it so wraps me up that somehow I say, I want to go back there. I want to go back there because I don't want the trouble in front of me. I want to go back to where things were different. But what we end up doing is we are essentially saying, I desire a life in slavery. Okay, this is what we're saying. This is what we're saying. We're saying, I desire a life in slavery. It was better in slavery where we're not free at all, are we? The only difference is the trouble back in slavery was different than the trouble that's in front of us right now. And we're having a hard time with the trouble that's in front of us right now. And we want to trade it for the trouble that was back in slavery. But the truth of the matter is that Jesus died for so much more than that. Jesus did not die so that I could trade one trouble for another trouble, right? Jesus actually said this. This is what he said. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world, right? So he didn't die just so I could say, oh, that trouble was better than this trouble, so I want to go back to this trouble. And all we do is play pinball with trouble, right? No, he said, you're going to have trouble, but real freedom exists when the trouble comes I have given you the tools to beat it that Jesus has overcome the world so I'm not trading one trouble in slavery for another trouble in freedom no I'm trading trouble for the solution to trouble and that is real freedom so how do we do that Here's the one thing I want you to remember this morning. Write it down, text it to yourself or your spouse or your kid or whatever you need to do. Just get this in your head. Lock it in the vault. As an exile, and you'll, you'll understand this in a moment. As an exile, only live the values of your kingdom. As an exile, only live the values of your kingdom. So, you are in 1st Timothy I mean 1st Peter chapter 2 and I want to describe this for you. If you are in Christ, here is what true is what is true about you, okay? If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, just listen to this, okay? Because I, just listen to what Jesus offers, okay? John 1:12 says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I mean, if you're a parent, you understand the weight of what that means. I mean, my children, when I look at my children, it's like there is nothing that could cause me to love them anymore. And there is nothing that could cause me to love them any less. It does not matter what they do. Yes, I might get frustrated with them sometimes. I might get angry with them sometimes. But in the essence of who they are, I absolutely, with my whole life, would die for them, love them, and nothing can change that. Right? It doesn't matter what they do. And it doesn't matter how old they are. I love them. And that's what we are to God. A child 
of the almighty, most powerful king of the universe, and yet he wants to embrace you like a child. That's incredible. I mean, peace. That's peace in the arms of a loving father. 2 Corinthians 5.27 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All right? I, we've, if you've been in church for a long time, you've, you've read that before. If you haven't, that's new to you. And I, when I read that, I'd rather it be new to me every single time. Because I think we miss the weight of this. It's like, no longer old, it has passed away. There is nothing left of the old me. Brand new means without any scratches, without any defects. Which means, when I am made new, it's like I have never sinned. Do you get that? I mean, you're sitting here today, and I'm preaching this, feeling somehow the weight of my own continual everyday sin, but when Jesus, when God looks at me, he sees Jesus, and when he looks at Nick, he sees a man who it was like he never sinned. That's incredible. Only God can do that, right? I mean, that's nuts. And then it says, this is the best news in all creation. And then it says, behold, the new has come. Okay, that word behold, it sounds old school, right? Like, who says that? I don't even think my grandparents said that. But when it's used in the Bible, that word behold, it John, John the Baptist said it about Jesus, right? When he says, there's one who comes after me whose sandals I am not even worthy to tie or untie, Right? And then when Jesus comes, he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That word behold, right, it means you're asleep. Wake up and look at the most amazing thing I have ever seen. Right? Behold. He's not, he's not just saying this in the sense of the old's passed away, the new has come, so be encouraged. No, it's like, no, this is the most incredible news I have to present to you. Behold, the new has come. This is the reality of who you are in Christ. Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So literally, we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Talk about an identity shift. As an exile, only live the values of your kingdom. So let's read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 
Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to, to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and the overseers of your souls. So how do we live as exiles in this world? Verse 11 starts out and it says, as sojourners and exiles. The Greek for the word exiles there literally means aliens, right? Aliens, like literally, if you are in Christ, you're from a different planet. I mean, I was wondering about some of you, but uh, you're literally from a different planet. You are not from this world any longer, right? We are part of God's family. Heaven is our forever home, which means we should feel a little bit uncomfortable here, right? Maybe a lot uncomfortable here. We should find it somewhat difficult to fit in. But that's not a bad thing. That should be an encouraging thing. Because I am an alien in this place. This is not my home. I mean, if you've seen the alien movies, Jeff Westfall, ask him about them because those are his favorite. Alien, Alien versus Predator, all those War of the Worlds, Independence Day, there's probably a lot of other ones. But the aliens are always coming to wage war on the world and take it over, right? In some way, that's true. In some way, that's true. For us, but our weapons are not weapons of war. Our weapons are weapons of grace our weapons of love, and our weapons of truth. The truth of the matter is we are at war, okay? We are at war. Ephesians 6.12 in the New Living Translation says this, For we are not fighting 
against flesh and blood enemies. All right, let's pause there. We've got to get it through our heads that people who are not followers of Jesus are not enemies. You get that? I mean, I've read this a thousand times. But when I read it this time, I'm serious. Like, people are never our enemies. Whether they're close to God or whether they're far from God, they are not the enemy. People are who we have been saved in order to serve. Right? So people are not our enemies because our fight is not against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So here's the deal. We fight for people. We fight for people's souls, and we are fighting against Satan and his demons. We fight for people's souls. We are fighting against Satan and his demons. And we've already said this. But God's truth is the number one weapon we have against Satan's lies. And when we claim the name of Jesus, Satan trembles. Like the truth of the matter is, when you claim Jesus' name over your home, Satan's not allowed there. He might try. But you claim the name of Jesus over your home, over your own life, over your spouse, over your family, Satan trembles. Right? He can't and never will and has already lost the fight to Jesus Christ. Right? So stop believing the lies. That's where freedom comes in. Stop believing the lies. Because you're free. You're free. Verse 12. Says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that, they, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That word honorable in the Greek means this. Lovely, winsome, gracious, noble, and excellent. Those don't sound like weapons of war, do they? But Satan can't fight against that, right? I mean, that's beautiful. And then the desired goal is that we live in such a way that on the day of visitation, what that actually means is when the Holy Spirit comes to the heart of an unsaved person and convicts their heart of their need for salvation, the Holy Spirit visits them, and they respond to that need for salvation, they look back at your life and they are caused to glorify God because they saw your conduct and how you lived your life, and how you loved them, and how you lived out the values of the kingdom of God, and finally they get it. And finally they're like, it all makes sense. And that person lived it out. 
Thank you, Lord, for that person. Thank you, Lord, that they obeyed you and they lived out the values of your kingdom. And then verse 13 to 20. We're not going to get into the details of verse 13 and 20, but what I would encourage you to do is when you go home, either tonight or tomorrow morning, read verse 13 to 20. All right? Read it over again. Because when you get into the details of verse 13 to 20, it's going to be helpful. It's going to help you in the details of how should I treat those that treat me wrong. I say to my kids all the time, how do we treat mean people? We're nice to them. We love them. That's what they say back. How do we treat mean people? We love them. We're nice to them, right? How do we treat those who revile us, who, who, who scandal against us? We love them. We let ourselves be hurt for the sake of the kingdom of God. So go back and read verse 13 to 20. But it lays out, out for us the fact that we should live in this world around people who are far from God in a way that does not allow them to bring any charge against us that is contrary to the gospel. And here's what I don't mean. I don't mean that you won't be persecuted for the gospel. Okay, because Jesus promised they hated me first, so they're going to hate you. When you claim the name of Jesus, people are going to hate you, right? But I'm not talking about don't let people slander you or persecute you because you're being faithful to the gospel don't let anyone bring a charge against you because you're not living out the gospel don't let anyone bring a charge against you that is contrary to the gospel here's what i mean here's an example there are a few more than i would like judgmental christians and churches I use the term Christian lightly in this, in, this, in this arena. Who ruin it for the rest of us, right? I mean, seriously. The, the picketers who stand out and they picket against a certain group of people or a certain race, like God hates so-and-so, right? Those are weapons of war. Those are not weapons of peace, those are not weapons of love. Those are not weapons of grace. They ruin it for the rest of us, and that is contrary to the gospel, right? But we live out a gospel of grace and of love and forgiveness, and we are supposed to let God's kindness lead people to repentance, yeah, we need to make people aware of their sin and that their sin separates them from God forever. But what do we do after they're made aware of that? We draw them into Christ's love and grace as a solution to their sin by the way we live. In other words, don't be an idiot. I'm, I'm serious. I say that and it's kind of funny, but I'm serious. Because when I think of people like that, I think you read the Bible and then you're an idiot. I'm, don't be an idiot in the way that you treat people. Fight the right fight on the right battlefield with the right kind of weapons. As an exile, only live the values of your kingdom. We should live differently from the world as we're living out the values of the kingdom of God. But what does that do? I love this. When we do that, 
When we live out the values of the kingdom of God, it gives the Holy Spirit a platform to create change in those people's lives. Here's the deal. God doesn't need you, and he doesn't need me to change people's lives. But it's a gracious thing that God chooses to use us to change people's lives. You know why I think he chooses us to change other people's lives? Because we receive the blessing of seeing someone else changed for the gospel and we're changed in return, right? God wants us to live an abundant life. And when we are sharing truth and speaking the truth of the word of God to people and we're fighting the right fight on the right battlefield with the right weapons, we're blessed by it in return, right? I mean, that's the abundant life. Paul says this in the New Testament. He said, one person can plant a seed, right? You plant the seed of the word in somebody. Another person can water the seed, but only God can make change happen in someone's life. So what's our job? Our job is to plant the right seeds in the right way. We're to love people to Jesus. And then when we do that, the Holy Spirit comes in and he convicts them of the needed changes in their life. As an exile, only live the values of your kingdom. In a moment, we're going to take communion. And I love that Jesus himself gave us these things and commanded us, as often as you do this, as often as you take the bread that represents my body broken for you and the cup that represents my blood poured out for you. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins, right? And it's not like the shedding of blood of a goat or a bull or a ram that causes God to see one sin forgiven. No, it's the blood of Jesus that wipes away our sins from us and separates them from us as far as the east is from the west. I mean, that's the power of the blood of Jesus. There's nothing more powerful than the blood of Jesus. I want to read to you again verse 21 to 25. For to this you have been called. To this, to living this way, to living out the values of the kingdom of God, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body. This is awesome. My sins were transferred from me onto Jesus so that I could be transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's son, Jesus Christ. That's cool, right? He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep but have now returned 
to the shepherd and the overseers of your souls. Part of the band is going to come back up right now, and we're going to listen to a song. We're not going to quite take communion yet, but what we want is for you to be able to just sit and to rest in the presence of God, right? And every time, every time you feel shame, every time you feel guilt, every time you feel fear, any of that always traces back to a lie that you are believing, right? So in these moments, as you listen to this song, I want you to sit in the presence of the only one that has the power to heal the hurt in you. The only one that has the power to fight against the lies that you are believing. So what lie are you believing about who you are in Jesus? Freedom says that we are only responsible to one, and that is God. I'm only responsible to God. Apart from Jesus, I'm in slavery to my sin, and Jesus offers true freedom. And this is it. Not freedom to sin, but freedom from sin <laughs> to be forgiven. Right? And get this. How does this translate to how we live? Those who are forgiven, forgive. Right? Those who are loved, love. Those who have been shown grace, show grace. And that is the freedom that comes from the cross and the blood of Jesus. And our confidence lies in the fact that this is not my home. That I am an exile in this world. I am an alien in this world so I can live my life and love people and love God as an exile. Only live the values of your kingdom. So let's just sit in the presence of God as we hear this song. daughter dance at a wedding and we're all the daughter <laughs> and we can look in your eyes we can stare into your face and know true freedom know the embrace of a father as we dance <laughs> I just pray God I beg for every heart in this room that you would help them in your spirit to identify the lies that they are believing. I pray for freedom in the name of Jesus now as we remember what he did for us on the cross, as we remember how much he loved us, that if we were the only person on the planet that Jesus still would have died, that Jesus still would have died for me. And so I am free in the name of Jesus. God, I, put, I pray freedom 
as we worship you and as we remember Jesus. Thank you for the bread and the cup, for commanding us to remember you. So lead us now, God. Speak truth to us through your spirit as we sing. want to challenge you as we uh, sing one more song our offering is going to come around and the second one's for the building fund but as that happens we're going to sing and the challenge to you is don't leave this room still believing lies I'm serious Jesus wants nothing more than to set you free, whether, you're, whether you've been a believer for years and years and years and years, and whether you're not a follower of Jesus yet. He wants to set you free. And so we can be a follower of Jesus and still be a slave to the lies that we're believing. Until we stop believing those lies and learn how to Claim the truth of God in the name of Jesus over those lies and power over Satan. We're not ever going to be able to fully live out the values of the kingdom of God. And so do not leave this room today. If you need to come up front and just bow before the cross, do that. If you need to talk to somebody and, and just say, I'm believing lies, help me, help me, help me and do that. Move around the room. I don't care. Just stop believing lies. Jesus, I pray in the name of Jesus again, freedom over every soul in this room. Jesus Christ gives freedom. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. So wake us up to the lies that we're believing. We love you, God. Lead us now.